We're finishing a series today. We're finishing a two-week series. It's like we started and stopped all at the same time. So just a two-week series. And, and, and where we're going to go from today is really we want to we sort of launch into, we'll start it next week, the book of James. We want to look at a real practical outworking of the definition of the word that we threw out last week that we're going to paint a little color on this week. So over the next number of weeks, uh, we're going to try and unpack that as much as possible. We're, we're talking about this issue of disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple or discipleship? Now, here's, here's the reality. This word, disciple, this is the bandwagon word of all churches all over the place at this point. So like five, ten years ago, this became sort of the concept. And, and every church, I, I mean like almost every church, probably in the, in the world at this point, is talking about uh, we're a disciple-making church. Ah, uh, we're into discipleship. Ah, uh, it's all about being a disciple. And that's cool. But like most bandwagon words, many churches have no clue what they mean by that. Like, it's just a word. It's just they've thrown it out there, and they're like, yeah, we're all about it, and there's nothing different that they're doing or nothing, nothing new or interesting. It's just, it's just the word that they've kind of jumped on. Does that make sense, that bandwagon concept? And I just want to say, that is not who we are. Like, at no point, we're serious about this. Like, if you think this will be a flash in the pan so you can just kind of hang out for a few weeks, and like, ah, oh, good, you'll get on to something else. This, we're not going anywhere. Like, this is what we're going to be about is this concept of being a disciple, Making disciples. What is discipleship about? What does it look like? See, see we, we have this problem. <clears throat> we, have, we have this problem. And, and, and Europe had it a number of years ago, and I think we're kind of at the tail end as Americans of having this problem. There's other countries that are beginning into the front side of this problem. Here's the problem. <clears throat> Everybody in America is a Christian. Right? Well, I don't What does the laughter mean? <laughs> See, if you go other places in the world and they find out you're an American, that's probably what they'll think of you. Because everybody in America is a Christian. And we've got this term, Christian, that has become so thinned out because you know and I know that that's not necessarily true. Everybody that lives in our country might have some basic understanding of Bible or God or Jesus or Christian vows or whatever. And so because of that, maybe they call themselves a Christian. And so this word Christian, unfortunately, has been so uh, anesthetized. It's such a weak word anymore because everybody here is a Christian. Like everybody in Europe's a Christian, right? Not so much, right? Because you know, you have friends and, you, and they, they, I'm a Christian. Oh, great. And you ask them some questions and they're like, oh, I'm not, no, nah, not nah, my thing. You know? You're like, oh, I don't, how does that work? You know? Because Christian has become this really strange term, and so the term that I think is so much better is this concept of disciple. L last week we threw out a definition of disciple because we're serious about, about disciple here. Like the idea of putting money and manpower to this issue, that's who we are, is helping us figure out what it means to be fully devoted followers of Christ, to be disciple. Last week we defined disciple, we said it was this. It's a person who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, you may be like, well, hey, you know what? I'd add some things. That's great. You, you feel free. You knock yourself out. But I think this is a great definition to try to keep it simple, somewhat short, that really encompasses a pretty large concept. The idea of following Jesus. See, so you can be a Christian in our country and not follow Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know. Like, in my head, I'm struggling to even say that because I'm like, wait a minute. Christian means little Christ or Christ follower, and yet you can claim to be a Christian and not be a disciple. That's bananas. That's absolute bananas. You can't be an Ohio State fan and not actually watch Ohio State. I won't finish this sentence, right? You're tracking, right? And I'm not a, I'm not a sports guy. 
I'm not, I'm not a follower of Ohio State. I wouldn't claim to be an Ohio Stateian, <laughs> right? But, but, but in our country, it's this weirdness. Like we can, we can walk around saying that we're Christian but not be disciples of Jesus. Well, I love this definition that we've thrown up there because you can't be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, if you're not following Jesus. Make sense? changed by Jesus, committed to the same mission that Jesus was committed to. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this definition. I think, I think it cuts right to the quick. It's right to the core of it, the idea of following, changed by, committed to. And so last week, we kind of unpacked that. Rick shared some thoughts on that. And this week, I just want to add some color to it because it's kind of easy to, to, to throw a, a word or a definition up there. But, but we want to, what does that look like? What does the process of becoming a disciple look like? In other words, I say that I'm a disciple of Jesus. Okay, what happens in me? What does that mean? What does the process look like? How does it, how does it work, function, happen, grow? Another way we might describe that is that idea of spiritual growth. How does that work? How does that happen? And it's, it's interesting because in, in a lot of areas in our life, we understand different growth processes. Like they have a starting place and maybe, you know, an ending place. And the trajectory looks something like that, right? Starts kind of down here and, and moves up there, the trajectory. So like, like we know this in human growth, right? Like you, you fall madly in love with the person, you get married and a little baby comes, right? And then we say little baby, right? Because within human growth, it starts uh, little. Now I know for you guys that had like 10 pounders, you're rolling your eyes going, well, you don't understand. I don't understand your absolute. I'm just saying it's smaller probably the baby. And so we understand human growth looks a little bit like this. There's a, a picture that'll pop up on the screen behind me. It moves from something small to something larger. And so you have this, this, this baby that's little and you think, man, that's the hardest thing I'll, I'll ever do. And then they become less. Legs. They get these legs and learn that they can run around on them. And then you're chasing them all over the place. And you're like, good night. That's the hardest thing that I'll ever do. And so you're chasing that kid around. And then they grow a little more and they get this attitude. You're like, That's the hardest thing I'll ever do, 13-year-old girl. Now, if you're a 13-year-old girl, I love you. I love you. I really do. You're, you're hard. And so, and so they, they become that. And then they continue. You get this makes sense, right? It's very, it's very linear. Starts small, uh, gets bigger. I know the old dude got a little bit smaller. Maybe that's a thing. But, but the idea of starts small and gets bigger, it's very linear and it's very normative. Because for the most part, everybody goes through the same concept of human growth. This makes sense, right? I'm not, I'm okay, nothing we don't. No, there, there's a, maybe the idea of uh, your career is also somewhat linear. Like you start maybe at the bottom of the totem pole get that entry-level job, you know, you're on the floor, you're busting toilets or whatever you're doing. You get that entry-level. And over time and dedication and whatnot, you tend to climb that corporate ladder. They call it a ladder even because there's this linear process to it. Now, I, I, I get it. Sometimes you change career midstream and that's different and sometimes stuff happens at the job and, and it goes south and you lose your job and then it's like, well, I'm not moving up anymore. I get that. Some things happen. But for the most part, that's how we think about career. That's how we think about jobs is in this linear process kind of thing. You start low, you, you retire high, and then it's, it's all good. We understand this for the most part with our weight. We start small. Over time, we get bigger. 
And then I don't know what happens after that. Some people go, oh, I got to get a little smaller or whatever. But we get that in our, in our way. So like we get these processes that are somewhat linear and somewhat uh, normative for all of us. What about spiritual growth? Same thing, right? You start like little or whatever and steadily over time, you just continue to grow on this upward trajectory of being like Jesus, Right? I did the first, same thing to first service. I just let it hang there for a minute. And then they got mad and left. No, they didn't leave. Because, because we're uncomfortable with this question because like part of you wants to say, I think, because part of me wants to say, well, yeah, like you, get, you grow and you get deeper and, and you get bigger and you get better or whatever. And, and so we go, so yeah, it's, it's linear. But then you start thinking about your own spiritual life. I'm just going to draw mine real quick. It looks maybe more like this. Something like that. Anybody else with me on that? Oh, yours looks somewhat... And if we drew yours, I don't know, maybe there would be some differences. Maybe it would be more like this. I don't know how you draw your own spiritual growth, your own process of being a disciple, but the point is that it's not linear, right? Like we start somewhere and certainly there's a finish line. So there's a time where you entered into relationship with Jesus if you're a disciple and there's a time that he's going to call you home. You'll look him eyeball to eyeball and you'll be all that he created you to be and it'll be a beautiful transition moment. But in between that, it's, it's like a four-year-old driving a car, right? It's a mess. It's just all over the map and that really is our spiritual, I think our spiritual growth process as we describe what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus following change by committed to. It really does look... <laughs> like the worst crossword or the worst dot to dot ever, right? Because I think that's true of us. It's not a linear process as much as we want it to be a linear process. Because linear processes are so easy to program for and so easy to tell somebody else what they need to do next. <laughs> but, but, a, but I don't think spiritual growth is linear and it's certainly not normative, my green mess is different than your black mess and if the red pen worked, I'd draw another one and it'd be different than the red pen mess and, and the reality is that all of our processes uh, look different, our, our, our process of spiritual growth. So then how do we even begin to describe what discipleship is? How do we begin to get our head around it? If it's not linear and normative, what do we do with this thing? Well, I think John chapter 15 gives us great language and Jesus paints a fantastic picture of what the spiritual growth process, of what the discipleship process, of what being a disciple of Jesus looks like. I think he does this great job painting this picture. So we're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning. Now I hope that uh, you have your Bible there and you can open up to it in your Bible so you can see this. Um, it, um, hopefully, if you're using the North Point app, pull that open. There's going to be some fill-ins, um, some things that I think are just uh, really important to get noted down because you're going to walk out of here in a few minutes going, wait, what? and want to process this conversation with someone. If you're not using the North Point app because you don't do smartphones or technology because you're trying to live off the grid, God bless you, um, maybe, maybe you'd pull out those sermon note pages. Now, I don't ask this often. I, I think it is a little bit self-serving when guys in the front say, hey, you're going to want to write down what I say. I, I don't, 
but man, I think God has got some things to say this morning. I think Jesus lays out some clear stuff in John 15 that I just want us to have somewhere more than just in our brain when we walk out of here or you stop paying attention in 10 minutes. Uh, if you write it down. Use your friend's neck. I don't care. Just, just get these thoughts somewhere where you'll have some chance to interact with them just a little bit later today, a little bit later this week, a little bit later this month or this year because I think these things are pretty important to how we understand this concept of uh, discipleship. John chapter 15. I want to start in verse 8. Verse 8 says this. Jesus says, this is Jesus. These would be red words if you had that kind of Bible. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is huge. By this, like, like Jesus says, like he's talking to his guys. I dropped you in the middle of a conversation. We'll look at it a little bit more. These are the last words of Jesus to his guys. He, he knows he's going to die. He's going to uh, be buried. He's going to rise in three days. He's going to conquer sin and death, do all these cool things. And he's going to head to heaven and not be with his 12 guys any longer, 11 guys any longer. And so he's got things he wants to say to them. These are the last words. And so Jesus says, by this, by this is a huge phrase. It's like this signpost that he puts in the ground that says, hey, remember what we just said? Look back and remember now what I'm going to say, because this is important stuff. By this, by this, God is glorified. This makes God happy. This is what makes God go, all right. This is what God looks at and smiles about. This is big. We ask this question, like, how do we please God? <laughs> Jesus said, <laughs> by this, God is glorified. He's glorified because it's what you're designed to do. It's what I'm designed to do. He says, by this, God is glorified that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. Because that, that proves you're a disciple. So we ask the question, how do I know, like, what's my spiritual growth trajectory look like? How do I grow spiritually? How do I know if I'm even a disciple? You bear much fruit. By this, the Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, which proves that you're a disciple. That you bear much fruit, proving that you're a disciple. So here's what I want to look at in the first eight verses of John 15 today. I think there are four seasons of spiritual growth. I think there's a few transitions that have to happen to move from one season to the next. And then there's some obstacles that are, that are in the midst of those transitions that we, we, we have to watch and, and, and overcome and be through. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1 of John 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it, bear, it will bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch of withers. The branches like that are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so proving that you're my disciples. Four seasons. If you're taking 
the app. These are the fill-ins. If you're taking notes, please write some words down. The first season, I think we see it right in verse 1. Uh, True vine, Father is a vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. The first season is the not bear fruit. Now, this is a little bit of a challenge because, because I, I said we're talking to disciples here. We're talking to people who have this relationship with Jesus. And you're thinking, wait a minute. Can you be a disciple and not bear fruit? That, that verse must be talking about people that don't know Jesus, people that are pre-Jesus, people that aren't saved yet or converted yet. And I say, I don't think so. There's this little phrase in there. It's the fourth word, third and fourth word, every branch in me. It's Jesus talking. This, this, this messes with our theology a little bit. Every branch in me, these, these, these branches, these people are in Jesus somehow. There is this relationship exists, and yet every branch in me that does not bear fruit. I think that's the first potential season. There's a, a, a disciple that's not bearing fruit. And then it goes on in verse 2. It says, it doesn't bear fruit, it takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, I think that's the second season, does bear fruit. I put the word some in there. Like, that's not in the text, and I he- I'm, I'm hesitant to, like, add words that aren't there. But w- it's, it's, it's more than none and less than the next season, which is going to be more fruit. I ruined the end there for you. But so, so I'm just going to use the word some. Just hang with me in that as a placeholder because it's a way to talk about it. So we have a season of no fruit, a season of some fruit, and then he goes on in verse 2, says it does bear uh, some fruit he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Not some, more, move on from there. Because God's not, like, like good enough is not good enough with God. Like, he loves us so much. He's like, no, I don't want you to bear more fruit. I want you to bear much fruit. Like, that's my hope for you. Like, more fruit's good. It's, it's good. But not, oh, there's so much better. Right, God says, much fruit. So, so verse two, uh, bear some fruit, he prunes it, may be more fruit. Already you're clean because the word is fruit. Abide in me and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You, you see that? I know, I know that's not rocket science. I haven't like said anything amazing uh, yet. There are four seasons of not uh, to some, to more, to much. And, and, and the target on that is much. But God wants, because it makes him happy, because we are designed and created to bear much fruit. That's the goal. We tried to put this in a visual format. If you're visual, maybe this is helpful. If you're not, that, that's okay. Just chuck it out of your brain. But um, this idea of this picture, the four seasons, uh, some, uh, none, uh, some, uh, more, and then much. Much is that target. Like if you're a target shooter or if you're into bows and arrows or if you're into darts or whatever, like that's what we're shooting for. That's fine if you're hitting some of those uh, center rings or outer rings, but that's not, it's not, it's good, it's not great, it's not awesome, because God wants so much more for us, more than just some fruit or more fruit, which is like good. But God's got this like, this, this thing that he wants in us to just launch this fruit out of our lives. There are some transitions that have to happen, I think, from one season to the next. And let me just stop and, and say for a minute, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is the hardest sermon right now because, uh, because this needs to be a conversation. 
this is terrible to do as a monologue. And I apologize for that. We actually, with our life group leaders, we did this as a conversation back in April. We had two weeks where we got together and talked through this stuff. And it was a great conversation. This is rough as a monologue because I'm just throwing stuff at you and you're generating questions and you're thinking, wait a minute. And, and that's the conversation part. But we, we don't, this format doesn't work for conversations. So this is such important stuff, but I wish it was a conversation. A couple of, at the bottom of the app, or if you're not using the app, if you go online uh, later to our website and pull the sermon-based notes, there are links there that will give you a lot more stuff to help that conversation hopefully happen in life group you can feel free to email me i just want to put out as a disclaimer because this feels wrong to do this as a monologue but it, it sort of is what it is this morning so so we get these four seasons not some more and much and there are transitions that happen between the seasons that are in the text again verse one jesus says i'm the vine my father's the vine dresser or the gardener every branch in me that does not bear fruit he you see it takes away he takes away. If you have the NIV version of the Bible, it says uh, cuts off. And cuts off is actually a really poor translation of, of the word. The word literally means, it's the Greek word arrow, and it literally means to take up or take away or lift up. It, using the gardener analogy, because Jesus is like walking through vineyards with his guys right now, and he's pointing at the grapes and the vines, and he's talking about this spiritual growth process in, a, in, a, in, a, in an analogy that they can actually see and touch and taste as they're walking through it. And in that analogy, it's interesting because grapevines apparently often begin to grow down into the ground. And as they grow into that mud and muck and get covered with all that, that stuff, uh, it's really unhealthy. It's going to die over time because it doesn't get the nutrients that it needs. It's not getting the sun and the air and the warmth and all the things that it needs. And so the good gardener comes through and doesn't like start lopping off those vines. The good gardener comes through and actually lifts those branches up and cleans them off. And then he does this thing where he ties them to the trellis, like forcibly. Like, I can't imagine that's very pleasant for the branch who just wanted to grow into the mud. I'm just going to hang out in the mud, for crying out loud, right? And then the gardener comes along, cleans it up, and ties you will grow this way, because he knows what it needs. He knows the best path. He knows that it needs the nutrients of the sun, all these things, so he puts it in a position for the vine to, to get that, to obtain it. He doesn't just leave it in the dirt because he's a good gardener. It's interesting as Jesus uses this picture. The first transition is this idea of, of takes, takes away or takes up. And, it, and it's a transition from not bearing fruit to bearing some fruit. And in verse 2, it moves on. It says, Every branch that does bear s- some fruit, he prunes so that it'll bear more fruit. Prunes so that it'll be more fruit. The Greek word there is literally the word for cleanse. And, and I'm, not, I'm not a gardener. I kill, like, every green thing we own. And if you're with me, like, let, we could start a group. But, uh, uh, but apparently, this is across the board. Have you guys ever had fruit trees or, like, rose bushes? or Like, pruning's a thing, right? Like, like if you want that uh, bush or tree or vine to be as healthy as possible, you've got to go in and prune. Matter of fact, we had neighbors uh, a while back who had these rose bushes. And uh, every, every year, every couple of years, whenever you do it, like, he would prune these suckers, and they were ugly. <laughs> like, it was like a stick. I'm like, dude, you killed your roses. <laughs> He's like, no, no, just wait till next year. I'm like, yeah, you wait till next year. And he was right. Next year, it's like... Because right? he knew what he was doing in this pruning process. Because, because branches naturally left to their own devices favor new growth over really healthy, good growth. It's just a thing, apparently. And vines are no different. Grape vines are no different. They favor new growth, so they get all these little offshoots that are all neat and adorable and whatnot. But it's, it's taking energy and sacking, 
sucking sap and life from, from the vine. And so it's never going to have these full, massive, luscious, awesome, prize-winning grapes because it's got all these little suckers just kind of taking its time. And so the good gardener will come through and prune those off, not because he's harsh or mean or doesn't like new growth, but because he knows what's best for the vine. Can you begin to see application to life, to, to your life? in this? The transition between some fruit and more fruit is this idea of pruning. And it's not that the new growth is bad. It's just that it's not the best. And then we get this last transition and it starts in verse 3 and it actually goes all the way throughout the chapter but we just stopped us in verse 8 and it says, it's the word that's repeated over and over and over again in verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And he goes on to talk some more and this word abide pops up over and over again. I think that's the transition between more and much is this idea of abiding. Abiding is this really rich Greek word. It could be translated remain. NIV translates it remain or dwell or continue or to tarry. I like that word. Or to continue to be present. See, a good gardener, a good vine dresser knows that the branch with the largest and least obstructed connection with the vine is abiding the most and therefore will produce the greatest uh, potential capacity for a huge crop. The idea in this transition is this idea of, of deep connection, a deep rootedness with the vine that's been stripped from all these other things that would get in the way that's been lifted up and out of the stuff that would snuff it and kill it and rather has its best chance because it's so connected into the branch. Can we just stop for a second try and figure out how to this applies to this? Like, like, can you just think, I don't know how far back you have to think, a couple days, a couple weeks, months, years, decades, uh, to a time where you've experienced God's discipline and it wasn't, it, it probably wasn't pleasant. Like you're like, I hope I never go back to that again. Like, like if you've ever been a child, we've all been children, right? Didn't you love it when your parents disciplined you? Were you like, thanks mom and dad for loving so me so much that you, whatever generation you grew up spanking a restriction or taking something away or time out or whatever made them feel good. Right? And you're like, thank you for doing that. No, we hated it, right? Like, darn, parents. And then you had your own kids. <laughs> Then you realize, oh, snap, I've got to discipline them. And then you hated it even more because it's not fun for the person giving the discipline either. And yet you knew it was for their good, right? And so you did. Like, like have you ever experienced that in, in your spiritual life, like God disciplined you? It's great because in Hebrews, God is clear. It says that God disciplines those he loves. Like, that's how, that's how, that's a key difference between good parents that love their kids and parents that really don't love their kids. Parents that love their kids discipline their kids. Parents that don't love their kids, just let them do whatever the heck they want. I don't care. Man, nobody would do that. See, our God loves us so much that at times when we're the branch growing into the muck, just trying to do our own thing, he disciplines us, he lifts us up, cleans us off, and sometimes forcibly ties us to the trellis so that we can get the nutrients that we need because God cares about us so much. He just doesn't leave us down in the mud. That's an encouraging thought. It's not a fun thought because it means discipline's coming and discipline ain't fun. But it's an encouraging thought. Or, or has there ever been a time, can you think in your spiritual life where God has pruned you? 
you strip something out of your life. And sometimes pruning has that negative context, like, like oh, yeah, that was, that was really rough. That was horrible. God just took that away, and I, that hurt for a long time. But sometimes pruning is a positive thing. Like, maybe it's not that it's been negative, but, like, maybe uh, you're just, like, you're doing a million things. Like, like you've got 12 Bible studies that you're part of, and you're part of three serve groups, and you're in two life groups, and you're out every night of the week, and you're just like, oh, I love it so much. And then some, some buddy gets up in the front here and talks about, like, oh, 50,000 people in five years won't impact with the grace of Jesus. How are you doing with that? And you're like, I don't have time for that. I'm so busy doing these spiritual things. And, and as you're sitting there thinking that, this little, still, small voice in the back of your head says, well, maybe you should stop some of those things. And, and maybe God has that moment with you. You're like, man, I mean, some of those things need to be pruned out of my life. They're good things. They're great things. But I've got I to prune some of that out. Maybe God helps you with that. Maybe he prunes some of those positive things out of your life in order to have you focused on the best Sometimes the stuff that we do just, just adds like little suckers in our life that takes energy and, and, and nutrients in our, in our soul and in our time and our mental energy so that we can't focus on the most important things, which the most important thing is this idea of producing much fruit because that's what makes God happy because that's what he's designed us for. Have you ever had those times in your spiritual life where you felt like, even if it was momentary, man, me and Jesus... We're abiding right now. Like I could, in this one moment with my cup of coffee and my Bible and life circumstances and the beautiful sun, whatever, it is, I could not imagine it being any better than it is right now. Have you ever had those moments where you just felt like you were in the right place doing the right thing? This concept of abiding as a transition is really, we, we used, uh, we tried to, again, paint this picture a little bit for you with this wheel. We use the word sweet spot. The idea of sweet spot. Because it's really figuring out who you are with Jesus, with other people. Like, how am I wired? What, what am I about? What is God looking at me specifically to do and to be? And you've found your rhythm of worship and your style and, and how you communicate with God. And, and you've, you've kind of put these pieces together. That's kind of this concept of a body. Because in each of these transitions, there's an obstacle. I think there's an obstacle, and I, I think it's... it's pretty obvious it's just there, but just so I say it, so you, you, you hear it. Between the idea of no fruit and some fruit, is, is the transition is takes up, and the obstacle, I think, is sin. And you think back to a time where maybe sin was ruling, and you're like, yeah, God, discipline me, whatever that looked like. And I think the, the, the obstacle in between the some and more fruit some and more, we see the transition is the idea of pruning. There's, there's times where God has to do some work with self, I think that's the obstacle. God does some work with yourself. Reorganizes your priorities through the loss of a job. Boy, nothing reorganizes priorities like losing a career. Career is a good thing. Sometimes God prunes those things off because he wants us to have the best, most, much fruit possible, not just some or more. And the transition between more fruit and much fruit is this idea of abide. Abide is this idea of, of, of richness, figuring out, we, we've said sweet spot, I, maybe there's a better word to put in there, but this idea of knowing you, knowing God, knowing how that works with others, this concept of abiding. Four seasons, three transitions, uh, three obstacles that I think exist in those transitions. Here's the reality. This is kind of simple to look at John 15 and put it into a, a wheel image and, and kind of talk through this and go, ah, this makes some sense. But it's a much more complex process of actually what's going on inside. 
We have processes in life like that that are easy to describe, but, but it's, they're so complex. Like, like digestion is one of those things. You explain digestion in five seconds. You know, you eat food, your body takes the nutrients, what it doesn't need, it, it, it pushes out. Like that's digestion. But if you're a medical professional, you're like, there's so much more complex processes going on in there, Chris. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I think spiritual growth is similar in that we can design it, we can describe it, we can put it, we can look at John 15. And then it's simple. But there's, there's some deep stuff that happens in there, some complex. The word for that is like elegant. Simple to describe, complex in its, in its nature. And it's also interesting because uh, we just spent the whole morning talking about fruit, and this is why I don't like this being a monologue, but we keep talking about much fruit, and God wants us to bear much fruit, and he, that makes him happy when we bear much fruit. And hopefully somebody here is in their head going, wait a minute, what the heck is fruit? What do you mean by that? That's great. That's a great question. I'm not telling you. Uh, we, we don't have time to talk about it this morning, but again, those links at the end of the app notes or in the sermon-based questions, there's a link to a great um, page of stuff. If you're interested in looking at that more, I'd love to have that discussion with you. Your life group uh, leader would, would relish having that discussion with you because they've been thinking about this for months and months. And so that idea of well, what does that mean when we have fruit? What, what is that supposed to look like? We use language as we talk about spiritual growth. We use language that's like process language and, and season language because it's not a straight shot trajectory from one end to the next. It looks like this. And sometimes maybe I think I'm in a uh, season of just bearing more fruit. I'm feeling pretty. I'm like, man, this is great. I love what's going on. And I wake up one morning and I'm just like, man, why am I getting disciplined by God? And I recognize there's sin that's keeping me from bearing much fruit, which is what God wants for me. And I feel like I've moved to a different season. I'll move on to a different season and back and forth and back and forth. And that's, that's kind of how it goes. Hopefully, with the consistent motion, the consistent desire to be a much fruiter, one who bears much fruit. That's what we're looking at. Let me just finish by, by reminding us where this sits, this, this, this idea of John 15, this idea of spiritual growth, this idea of being a much fruiter, where it sits in the context. Jesus is having a conversation with his guys. And in chapter 13 of the book of John, it says this. It says, it was just before the Passover feast festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave uh, this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Jesus sits down and has dinner with his guys. This dinner is celebrating Passover. It's a big Jewish thing, but it's also him celebrating his last time he's going to have a meal with his guys. And they eat that meal, and it says, After that, he poured water into a basin, and Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus begins to remind him that he's leaving soon, that, it, that they're eventually going to follow him. But they get frustrated and they're confused and they're kind of scared because they feel like they don't know where he's going. And they're like, Jesus, how do, we, how do we follow you if we don't know where you're going? And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house, there's many rooms. If I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. But Thomas says, Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we follow you? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And they talk a little more about this whole idea of knowing God and seeing God is wrapped up in having this relationship a friendship with Jesus. They're having that conversation and as they leave the room, they walk out into this vineyard and Jesus says, I am the true vine 
My father's the gardener. And he takes up every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So you're already clean because the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I also have remained in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's so appropriate how we're going to end this morning because we want to end with communion. That only makes sense because communion is the thing that we do in 2017 that Jesus did thousands of years ago with his guys. That last meal, celebrating Passover, celebrating what Jesus was about to do, that's what we do in communion. And it's interesting because as Jesus is walking through the garden and pointing out these grapes, you know, they had just spent some time having a couple of drinks of wine. And we're going to drink some juice that comes from grapes. It just seems to make so much sense. Jesus goes on in this text to talk about his body his body that's going to be broken for them. We eat this cracker to try and remember what Jesus did for us. This whole idea of spiritual growth, of seasons of fruit, of being a much fruiter, uh, uh, does not happen, will not happen, cannot happen outside of Christ, a relationship with him. And so as we, 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 we pass out the elements and, and you take that cup and you take that cracker, um, uh, I, you feel free to eat that and drink that whenever you want to. But I would just say, here's the thoughts that I want in my head, and I'll encourage the questions to be in your mind as well. What season of spiritual growth are you in? Where are you at? No fruit, some fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Where are you at? I don't know that anybody else should assess that in you except for you and God. Where are you at? What season are you in? What, what would it take to move to the next season? discipline? Is there pruning? Is there a sense of abiding that needs to be found? What's keeping you stuck in the season that you're in? And if you feel like you're sitting in the much fruit, like, I'm, a, I'm much fruiting right now, Chris. Praise God. What, what's going to keep you there? How can you stay stuck in that? That's a great place to be. What season are you in? What's going to help you move from the one to the next? Why are you stuck? Because really we're asking the question, am I really a disciple? Am I just a Christian? So as the elements are passed out, you take juice, you take cracker, eat and drink whatever you want to. Let's dwell in on some questions, then we'll finish with a song.